What's up, nerds? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Boss Science, a podcast where I talk to wicked smart people and learn all about the latest and greatest scientific research going on in Boston. I'm your host, the stellar Gray Singles, and today's Out of This World episode is all about the marvelous planet Mars. Take a trip with me to everyone's favorite red planet and hear how Boston scientists have designed super fancy scientific instruments that are studying the planet aboard the brand new Mars rover, how they're analyzing data sent from Martian satellites about the planet's atmosphere, and how they're even teaching robot dogs how to explore extraterrestrial caves. So, you guys ready for some boss-ass science? Welcome to the show. Hello? Boston? Do you read? This is SS Boss Science. We are a go for landing on Soundbite Episode 4. Please confirm all listeners are prepared for touchdown. Over. Copy that, listeners, because I am so ready to share with you guys this outrageously awesome science fest of a soundbite episode. Welcome back, my fellow astronauts, and to those just joining, welcome to the party. In every soundbite episode, I pick a new topic in the world of science and research all of the amazing things scientists in Boston are doing to understand and advance that field. But before we blast off to our episode, let me rocket through some business first. Let me start by sharing my never-ending love to my Boss Science patrons, Mark Ingalls, Chris Michelli, Catherine Ingalls, and Brittany Pack. You guys seriously make my world go round. Screw astrophysics. I know it's because of you. So thank you. If you'd like to support the show, or get access to bloopers and behind-the-scenes info, or even if you just want to hear your name said on the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash science and donate as little as $1 a month, and know that you're doing something good in this crazy, crazy world. If you've already spent all of your disposable income on dominoes and cat toys, no worries. You can still support the show by rating and writing a review on iTunes. Each episode of Boss Science, I pick a new review to read on air to show that I really do care about your reviews. Maybe sometimes a little too much, but I'm sure that's not going to have any lasting psychological effects, right? So listener Geek and Chic wrote, Every time I listen to a new episode of Boss Science, all I can say over and over again is, that's so cool. Grace is a joy to listen to. She makes complicated topics easy to understand, and she always cracks me up. 10 out of 10 would recommend to anyone looking to laugh and to learn about some boss science. Oh my god, geek and chic, thank you. I'm glad I could teach you something new and still make you laugh. I also make myself laugh. It's one of my many talents. Okay, everyone stop fangirling over me. Seriously, you're making me blush. Now it's time to get to the good stuff. And by that, I mean the science. So a lot of exciting things have already happened in the year 2021. We've had our first FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine. Thank you, Pfizer. 
We've had two different billionaires launch themselves into space on company rockets, both in the same week, might I add. And a certain somebody is no longer in the White House. To everyone's either excitement or dismay. But for me, one of the most exciting events to have happened this year was on February 18th, when the NASA Perseverance rover landed on Mars. This mission, called Mars 2020, which, super original mission name, NASA. You guys had years to come up with a badass mission name, and that's the best you could do? It's not like you had anything else you needed to focus on during that time, right? Like, you had one job. So, this Mars 2020 mission has brought lots of amazing things to Mars including a new exploration rover, a brand new state-of-the-art space helicopter, and, of course, Boston's fingerprints all over it. I couldn't believe how many Boston researchers have been involved with this mission to Mars, and I think you're going to be amazed too. But before we talk about how Boston science has ended up 246 million miles away from Earth, let's learn a little more about the dusty red planet that we might someday call home. So Mars is our planetary next door neighbor. It is the fourth planet from the sun, and like any good romantic comedy involving the girl next door, we've had our eyes on Mars for a long time. Because of its brightness and closeness to Earth, Mars has been documented for at least 4,000 years. There are observations dating back to ancient Egyptian astronomers in the second millennium BCE, while Chinese records about movements of Mars were written even before the Zhao dynasty in 1045 BCE. Because of these many different observations from cultures all around the world, it's impossible to credit just one person with the planet's discovery. Although we do know that the first person to observe Mars with a telescope was Galileo Galilei in 1610. Now, the name Mars comes from the ancient Romans after their god of war, because they thought that the planet's reddish color was reminiscent of blood. Even today, we frequently call Mars the Red Planet, because the iron minerals in the Martian dirt oxidize, or rust, causing the surface to look red. And although we call it the Red Planet, Mars actually has all sorts of colors at its surface, including brown, gold, and tan. It's actually a great color scheme. I bet somebody could create a Mars-inspired clothing line and make millions. Hmm, I might be onto something. Hold on. Even though Mars is only half the diameter of Earth, it still has almost the same area as Earth's dry land. And it's got a lot of similar features too. On Mars's surface, you can find canyons, volcanoes, impact craters, even dust storms and sand dunes. But of course, Mars has to be so extra and go super over the top with all of its surface features. Let's take its canyons. The largest canyon system on Mars is called Valles Marineris, and it's long enough to stretch from California to New York, so more than 3,000 miles. That is more than 10 times the size of Earth's Grand Canyon. Think that's wild? Wait until you hear about their volcano. Mars is home to the largest volcano in our solar system, called Olympus Mons. It's three times taller than Earth's Mount Everest, 
with a base the size of the state of New Mexico. Yikes. Who wants to bet that in like a thousand years, there's going to be some Martian car out there with a bumper sticker saying, this car climbed Mount Olympus Mons. God, I hope not. But when it comes to the human race, I like to keep my expectations low. That way, I'm never disappointed. So aside from its over-the-top surface features, what is the big deal with Mars? Why is it one of the most explored bodies in our solar system? Why is it the only planet that we've sent rovers to? And why does it get its very own space mission? Well, back in the late 1800s, when telescopes became larger and more advanced, astronomers would focus their scopes on Mars and would see these really interesting features on the surface of the planet. Features that looked suspiciously like water canals. In fact, in 1894, a wealthy astronomer named Percival Lowell, who, might I add, happened to be from, could you guess it, Boston, Massachusetts, Lowell created a private observatory to study Mars, and he was absolutely certain that these water canals were real, and that they were created by intelligent Martians to carry water from their polar regions to the equator. The following year, he published his first book, titled Mars, with illustrations of all of his findings, and soon the idea of life on Mars had swept across the country and into the mind of the public. Well, since Lowell's findings in the late 1890s, many more details about the planet have been discovered. And, spoiler alert, these so-called Martian canals were proven to be nothing more than an optical illusion. There is no water on Mars. Well, I should say there's no liquid water on Mars. Thanks to Mars's low atmospheric pressure, water isn't able to remain liquid on the planet's surface for very long. However, we now know that there are two permanent polar ice caps on Mars, which are so large that if melted, they would cover the entire planetary surface with water 36 feet deep. But even though Lowell's predictions were all wrong, his belief in life on Mars has inspired literally thousands of people to explore the red planet. In fact, our fascination with Mars has been so great that in 1971, just two years after Neil Armstrong took One giant leap for mankind. As he stepped onto the surface of the moon, NASA had its first space probe successfully enter orbit around Mars. In fact, that probe, named the Mariner 9, was the first space probe to orbit any other planet aside from Earth. Since the Mariner 9's first orbit, more than 55 missions have been launched to study the planet Mars. And while only 25 of those missions have been successful, each success has given us so many answers to questions and has raised a thousand more. Which brings us to current day and our Mars 2020 mission. Let's talk about the star of the Mars 2020 mission, the Perseverance rover. This is the third generation of space rover to land on Mars. The first being Grandma rover, Sojourner, who landed in 1997, and the second being the Mama rover, Curiosity, who landed in 2012. Which, now that I'm saying the dates out loud, is not enough time for these three to be related in that way. Well, maybe in robot years. According to nasa.gov slash mars2020 slash mission slash overview, 
the Perseverance rover has been put onto Mars with four science objectives. Number one, identify past environments capable of supporting microbial life. Number two, seek signs of possible past microbial life in these environments, particularly in special rocks known to preserve signs of life over time. Number three, collect core rock and soil samples and store them on the Martian surface. And number four, test oxygen production from the Martian atmosphere. Cool, we got that. That's just like four things. To help the Perseverance rover accomplish these four goals, it carries a dozen different badass science instruments, including our very own Massachusetts Institute of Technology designed MOXIE. Now that's a sexy name right there. NASA, you taking notes? Remember that. Remember it. Write it down. Take a picture. I don't give a fuck. The MOXIE which stands for Mars Oxygen in Situ Resource Utilization Experiment, was designed by a whole team of researchers, including PhD student Maya Nasser and the experiment's principal investigator, MIT's Haystack Observatory professor, Michael Hecht. The device is installed on the belly of the rover, and as Perseverance rolls along the surface of Mars, MOXIE will be hard at work taking carbon dioxide out of the Martian air and converting it into oxygen. Okay, first of all, since when has this been a thing? Like, when did we, as humans, develop the technology to convert useless carbon dioxide into precious oxygen? This sounds suspiciously like the plot of a Star Trek episode, if you ask me. I swear, if this is something that the government has been hiding from us, I am throwing my laptop out of this window and living in the mountains. I'm done. But conspiracies aside, the MOXIE is no sci-fi nonsense. How does it work in the real world? In the real Mars world, I guess? First, the system will pull in Martian air, filtering out all of the dust and crap in the air, and then it compresses it. Next up, the compressed carbon dioxide is fed into the solid oxide electrolyzer, or SOX, is how I guess it would be pronounced. Hey, do you think the MIT team painted the socks red? You know, because baseball? Man, I'm great at sports references. Go team! The socks device uses a killer combo of chemistry and electricity to take the carbon dioxide molecule and split them into separate oxygen and carbon monoxide molecules. Then, after a quick purity test, the oxygen is let back out into the Martian atmosphere, free as a bird. Now, why bother to split up CO2? The dynamic trio, as I like to call it. Well, have you ever watched the movie The Martian, starring Boston's very own Matt Damon? No? Okay, great. Stop whatever you're doing right now and go watch it. You're back? Okay, how great was that? Am I right? Matt Damon? Yes, please. I'll get stuck on Mars with you. I'd probably end up getting us both killed, but oh man, I promise you, it'll be worth it. <sighs> anyway, what are we talking about? Right, science. Right, 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 right. Cool, 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 cool. 
So as Matt Damon so wonderfully showed us, the biggest problem when it comes to surviving on Mars is the oxygen. And the potatoes too, but mostly the oxygen. You see, on Earth, oxygen takes up about 21% of the planet's atmosphere, which we, as humans who breathe oxygen, enjoy. On Mars, however, oxygen makes up a whopping 0.13% of the planet's atmosphere. Not very human-friendly. But if we had our pal Moxie, we could turn the tides on this battle for oxygen. Slowly. Because right now, Moxie's only producing about 6 grams of oxygen per hour. That's enough for a person to breathe for about 15 minutes. But to be fair, Moxie's only the size of a car battery, so let's not get crazy. But this little device is the start of something very, very big. If this experiment is successful, the future generations of Moxie could be a hundred times larger. Aside from giving humans a way to safely breathe on Mars, being able to produce vast amounts of oxygen is also important as it provides humans a safe way off of Mars in the form of liquid oxygen propellant. If you were to transport a four-person crew off of the surface of Mars, you'd need about 25 tons of oxygen to get yourself airborne. Er, spaceborne. Now, you can either bring those 25 tons of oxygen with you when you travel to Mars, which definitely is going to take up all of your luggage space and you'll have to stuff your carry-on under your seat like an animal. Or you could instead bring empty tanks with you and have Moxie make the oxygen for you while you're on Mars. I know, this is all stuff that's only important in the very, very distant future. But the future has a tendency to sneak up on you. And at the rate that we're trashing this planet, we may need some Martian survival options quicker than we'd like. So let's all root for Moxie and their wicked smart team of engineers for a breathtaking success. But of course, MIT isn't the only team to have its fingers in the Martian pie, so to speak. Back in September of 2014, when the Perseverance rover was just a twinkle in NASA's eyes, the satellite called MAVEN successfully entered orbit around the planet Mars. And you better believe there is a whole mess of scientists from Boston University who've been involved with it. The MAVEN satellite, which stands for Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission, was a huge deal when it was first announced, because this would be NASA's first mission to Mars that is exclusively devoted to studying the atmosphere of the Red Planet. That's a huge deal, right? No, I'm actually asking, is this really such a big deal? I thought everybody was excited to look at the surface of Mars not the planet's atmosphere. Well, it turns out you can get a lot of good information about the planet's history, not just by looking from the ground, but also from the sky. So first off, a little background of what Mars's atmosphere looks like compared to Earth. Or even better, let's just figure out what a planet's atmosphere actually is, okay? Okay, so an atmosphere is essentially the layer of gases that envelop a planet. And turns out it's actually pretty important for life on Earth. Or on any other planet for that matter. We as Earthlings have been very fortunate with our planet's atmosphere. One of the main gases in our atmosphere is oxygen, which we use to breathe. Our atmosphere also gives us a nice cozy ozone layer. 
which helps protect us from the, all of those real, real bad ultraviolet radiation beams that come down from the sun. Our atmosphere also helps to trap the heat of the sun, which makes it warm enough for liquid water to survive, which gives us all that lovely rain and snow that we depend on. All great stuff. The atmosphere on Mars, however, is very different. One of the most important distinctions, at least as far as this episode goes, is the atmosphere's density. Mars has a much thinner atmosphere than Earth. In fact, even though Mars is only half the size of Earth, Mars only has 1% of the atmosphere that we have on Earth. This thin atmosphere can cause all types of problems, especially when it comes to keeping water in its liquid form. But the exciting part of this whole thing is that although Mars's atmosphere today looks thinner than a 1990s heroin chic model, many scientists believe that this wasn't always the case. There is evidence that in the past, Mars has had a much denser atmosphere than we see in present day. And this thicker atmosphere meant that there was running water on the planet's surface. Now, let me get this all out in the open. No evidence has been found that there is or ever was life on Mars. But we do know that the conditions required for life to thrive we're at one point there. So what happened between that and now? How did Mars go from warm, wet, and wild to cold, icy, and bare? Well, that's exactly what the MAVEN mission is trying to find out. It's not a search for life on Mars, per se, but rather a search to find out how so much of the planet's atmosphere has escaped over time and turned the planet into what we see today. Now, I promised you guys, Boston scientists, and trust me, I'm going to deliver, because scientists from Boston University have been all up in Maven's business, right from the very start. In fact, it was the director of BU's Center for Space Physics, Dr. John T. Clark, who helped design the Maven satellite back in 2006, and he's now the scientific co-investigator on the Maven mission. Professor Clark played a huge role in developing the Imaging Ultraviolet Spectrograph Instrument, called the IUVS, which is apparently somehow able to measure the ratio of Mars's upper atmosphere isotopes. And would you believe that this ratio can somehow indicate the total amount of water lost in the whole history of Mars? But, I mean, if you don't believe me, that's okay. I get it. I'm about as qualified to teach space physics as an 8th grader is who's just made a diorama of the solar system. But even now, eight years after the MAVEN satellite entered orbit around Mars, Boston University scientists are still working hard to understand the data that the satellite is sending back to Earth, including Professor Paul Withers and Professor Michael Mandillo, who were both selected in 2013 as participating scientists a fancy term that NASA uses to categorize the team of scientists who'll be analyzing and interpreting all of the data coming back from the MAVEN instruments. Specifically, Professor Withers and Mandillo will be looking at how the two main categories of Martian atmosphere, the neutral atmosphere and the ionosphere, are affected by one another. Now, to me, research into ionospheres and neutral atmospheres doesn't sound all that riveting. But the information this team provides can tell us so much about how Mars's environment has changed so drastically throughout its lifetime. And it may even provide some insights about climate change 
right here on planet Earth. However you're looking at the red planet, whether it's from the point of view of the Perseverance rover rolling across the surface, or from the MAVEN satellite high in the sky, I think that we can all agree that our Boston scientists have made a huge impact on Mars. But in a, in a good way, not like huge asteroid impact way. Now, we've talked about how Boston scientists are using satellites to try and understand Mars's atmospheric past. And we've also talked about how they're using land rovers to try and map how the surface of the red planet looks in present day. But if you're anything like me, you may be wondering what Boston has planned for the future of Mars. Well, don't worry. We've got lots planned. And by we, I mean absolutely not me at all, but rather the company Boston Dynamic has plans. Now, please tell me that you guys have heard of Boston Dynamic before. They're an engineering and robotics company. They were founded back in 1992 as a spinoff from MIT. No, seriously? How about this? They are the company that created the world-famous four-legged robot named Spot. And if that's not ringing any bells, well, damn, what Martian rock have you been living under for the past five years? Most people, most normal people, will recognize Spot immediately. He's about two feet long, he's got four legs, a very pretty yellow coat of paint, and a flat screen for a face. You might recognize him as one of the robots in Boston Dynamics video release from last New Year's Eve where Spot can be seen dancing along to the Contours song, Do You Love Me? Spot also does a pretty good choreography to Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk if you're looking for some more modern beats. Anyway, if you haven't seen Spot's dance moves, I'll post a clip of it on the show's Instagram because it's too good not to share. But the Spot robot can do so much more than dance in TikTok videos. In just the first two years since Spot has come on the market, it's been used for so many things. It's been fitted with radiation sensors and deployed to Chernobyl to try and help researchers determine whether it's safe to send in humans again. And during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, Spot helped deliver food and medicine to quarantine facilities to help protect healthcare professionals. It measured patients' vital signs, and it even disinfected workplaces. Amazing. With such outstanding success with this autonomous robot dog, NASA has decided to partner with Boston Dynamic to use spot robots to help in the search for signs of life on Mars. Now, yes, I know what you're thinking. Don't we already have robots on Mars doing just that? You literally just spent a half hour screaming about the Perseverance rover and all of its scientific goals. Well, yes, I did do that. Although I think the word screaming is a little harsh. Maybe. My voice isn't that bad. Anyway, it's true. We already have ongoing missions on Mars to search for signs of life. But the stars of these missions, like the Perseverance and Curiosity rovers, they are only exploring the open surfaces of the planet. Which is great, don't get me wrong. The Jezera Crater, where the Perseverance rover landed and is currently exploring, is a crater that's believed to have once held a huge lake, which makes it a good place for microorganisms to have lived and to be preserved. So, fingers crossed we find something there. 
But there are other features on Mars that would also be useful to explore, especially Martian caves. Caves, both on Earth and on Mars, are a likely place to find signs of life because they're able to protect that life from all of the cosmic rays and huge temperature fluctuations that happen throughout the solar system. But caves are dark and lots of times rocky and dangerous to boot. As much as I love our Mars rovers, they just don't have the capacity to explore these types of environments without getting stuck, or even worse, broken. That's a multi-million dollar robot, so you really don't want to be the one who breaks it. So what is NASA to do? Wait another 20 plus years until they can send humans to Mars and have them explore those unknown caves? Huh, you think breaking a Mars rover would be bad? Imagine accidentally killing a Mars astronaut. Mmm, no thank you. Luckily, that's where our friend Spot comes in. Not only is Spot able to traverse challenging terrain, but it can also carry scientific equipment on its body to use it on mission. It has 360-degree perception to help it map terrain and avoid obstacles on the fly. And best of all, you can program Spot to go off on its very own autonomous missions, meaning it doesn't need any human input to get the job done. Sounds amazing, right? NASA certainly thinks so. They like this idea so much that they're not even waiting to try Spot out on Mars. Instead, they're using some Martian-like caves right here on planet Earth to practice with. Specifically, they're using the lava tubes in the Lava Bed National Monument in Tule, California. This is actually a huge deal, as this marks the first ever fully autonomous robotic exploration of caves that are hundreds of feet long and offer little to no communication with the surface. This project, named Braille, or Biologic and Resource Analog Investigations in Low-Light Environments, will allow researchers to determine how successfully the spot robot is able to react to high-level decisions and commands that come from the robot brain, and how it's able to balance over the rocky cave terrain. And while Spot is exploring the inside of these caves, the team of researchers on the outside of the caves are simultaneously acting out the jobs that they'd be doing during a real Martian mission. It's so cute. It's a robot trainer and robot dog practice session. I love it. To help our friend Spot navigate these Martian caves, a team of more than 60 scientists and engineers named the Collaborative Subterranean Autonomous Resilient Robots, or COSTAR for short, have equipped our Mars dog with a whole range of different visual, thermal, and motion sensors to create a real-time 3D map of the environment. In addition to some nifty artificial intelligence programs, Spot will be able to use this map to learn what type of structures to avoid and what objects might be interesting to scientists on the surface. They're hoping these features will allow NASA to send robots to Mars as a sort of precursor mission to help provide more information about the destinations before humans even arrive. How does that saying go? A robot dog is an astronaut's best friend. It's something like that. Although there's no timeline yet for when NASA plans on sending Spot to Mars, it's exciting to know that so many people are working to make Spot the smartest, safest, and, if I do say so myself, 
coolest robot dog that has ever walked the planet. Well, there you have it, folks. You just heard about a whole mess of wicked smart Boston scientists and their awesome work with the planet Mars. And as much as it pains me to say goodbye to Mars and bring us back to the planet Earth, I must, because I am officially out of stuff to tell you about, at least for this episode. Thank you all for listening to this extra planetary soundbite episode of Boss Science. You can see pictures and videos of the research talked about today by checking out the show's Instagram, BOS Science, and the show's Facebook, BOS Science Podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter, at BOS Science, to hear more about upcoming episodes and guests. And if you have any comments about the episode, recommendations for who you want to hear featured on the show, or if you'd like to argue with me over if Pluto should still be a planet, you can email me at bosciencepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Today's episode is produced by the wonderful Josh, whose last name is pronounced Krotz, not Krotz, like I said last time. Sorry, Josh. I'd like to extend another huge thank you to the wonderful Boss Science patrons, Mark, Catherine, Chris, and Brittany. You guys are the ones who inspire me to wake up at 5 a.m. so I can record these stupid episodes. If you'd like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash science where you can donate as little as $1 a month in exchange for awesome perks like blooper reels, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, you get to hear your name on the show. But if your bank account number is literally just a frowny face, no worries, man. You can always support the show for free by rating and reviewing it on iTunes, where there's a good chance that your review will be read on a future episode of Boss Science. For those stubborn listeners who refuse to turn off a podcast before it reaches the end, congratulations. You get to listen to my very secret end-of-the-episode science fact that all the other listeners miss out on because they don't appreciate me. Not like you do. There were so many awesome science facts that I found while researching this episode. At first, I was going to tell you about how long it would take to drive a car to Mars. Over 200 years, in case you're curious. And then I was going to tell you about all of the other gizmos and gadgets that you can find on the Perseverance rover. But then I started looking into the Spot robot, and there are so many fun facts about this little guy that I decided to scrap all of my other facts and just share with you my top three robot dog fun facts. Fun fact number one. Did you know that you can actually purchase your very own Spot robot? And the starting cost is only $74,000. So I definitely can't purchase it. But maybe one of my wealthier listeners who's got a thing for dancing robots can. I don't know. Second fun fact. If we have any fans of the show Black Mirror out there, you may recognize Spot. Because our Boston Dynamics robot dog was a huge influence for the episode Metalhead. Which follows the absolutely terrifying story of Bella who's trying to run from robotic dogs who are, for some reason, looking to kill all of humankind. Maybe that's not a fun fact, more of a scary fact, but I hope, as I do with all Black Mirror episodes, that life doesn't go that way. Although, it's definitely a possibility. If you liked the video of Spot dancing to Bruno Mars or to the song Do You Love Me, you'll 
love my third and final fun fact. A group of spot robots got together and challenged the K-pop boy band BTS to a dance-off. Yep, human versus robot on the dance floor. And honestly, guys, maybe I'm biased, but Spot for sure won that battle. Hands down. Or paws down. Weird extending robot hand down. I don't know the terminology, but I know a badass dancer when I see one. If you want to see this dance off yourself, I've added a link in the show notes that's titled Only Click This If You Listen to the Whole Episode. Because... Again, nothing better came to mind as I prepared this, so deal with it. Anyway, I think I'm finally done talking. I'm gonna go and try and deal with the fact that there is a robotic dog out there that is a better dancer than I could ever hope to be. But I'll see you all on the next episode of Boss Science, where I talk to some wicked smart people and learn about some boss-ass science. Bye! Thank you.